Hello, electorate listeners. This is Jen Taylor Skinner. The midterm elections are just around the corner, and it's down to the wire. But there's still so much work to do, starting with the House. If we flip just 23 districts in the House, we will take back the majority. In the past few weeks, there have been attacks on the LGBTQ community, attacks on the press, ongoing attacks and misinformation about immigration, children being ripped from their families, and billionaire tax cuts. And the list goes on and on. But if we can manage to flip just 23 districts, we can finally put a check on President Trump, his regressive administration, and these harmful policies. Because we know that this is not what democracy is supposed to look like. But that's how it works with Trump and the conservatives controlling the House of Representatives. And our only choice is to vote them all out and flip the House in the midterms this year. Think about how great that would feel to finally elect progressive candidates who will hold Trump and his corrupt administration accountable. So I urge you to please get engaged now because it's going to take everyone. Join Swing Left at swingleft.org slash electorate to find a nearby swing district. This is the best chance we have to put a check on Trump. Everybody who wants to take a stand must do more than vote this year. You must volunteer. So join Swing Left to find your nearest swing district and take action now. Sign up now at swingleft.org slash electorate. That's swingleft.org slash E-L-E-C-T-O-R-E-T-T-E. I'm Jen Taylor Skinner, and this is The Electorate. On this episode is part two of my coverage of the anti-transgender memo. Isn't that nice? A couple of weeks ago, the New York Times revealed that they discovered a leaked memo from the Trump administration. And that memo suggested that the Trump administration sought to redefine gender as an immutable condition determined by genitalia at birth. So essentially, they were seeking to define the trans community out of existence, an erasure. In my last episode, I spoke with Christy Hall and Megan Peterson from Gender Justice, and that's an organization that advocates for gender equality. Today, I talk with Natalie Crowley from the Family Tree Center of Minnesota. And the Family Tree Clinic, they offer reproductive and sexual health services to underserved communities, and many of their patients are from the LGBTQ community. In this episode, Natalie and I discuss the practical implications for the trans community if these changes were to take place. Here's Natalie explaining exactly what the memo proposes. Changing the definition of gender, so getting rid of gender and then changing the definition or establishing the definition of sex as uh, what is on your original birth certificate based on the gender or the genitals that the doctor saw when you were born. And then that if there is any discrepancy or any question about that, that genetic testing would need to happen to show what gender or what sex you are. Um, That's the language that they're using is sex and not gender. And this would really primarily affect discrimination in healthcare, housing, employment, education, and then fair treatment under the law in general. It is kind of guidance and interpretation of the law. So it's uh, specifically, I believe it's Title IX that they're looking at, which provides protections for people based on their gender or sex. So it just sounds like, I mean, from what I understand, it sounds really archaic, right? And so it sounds like they're trying to conflate gender 
and sex, which are two different things, right? Which I find interesting because they say it's grounded in science and it's not really grounded in science. Yeah, they're they're kind of trying to say that gender is not the same as sex and is not something that should be protected. And that sex is this immutable characteristic, something that cannot change over time um, and is very clearly defined. Um, And both of those are pretty much untrue. We know that there are many ways that sex is kind of expressed biologically. So, you know, chromosomally, if we're going to be looking at genes or genetic testing, our kind of uh, elementary ideas of XY and XX chromosomes are are not true. There's a whole range of different chromosomal arrangements that describe sex in humans. And then if you look at other animals, there's an even larger array of potential combinations of different things. And then also if we're looking at genitals and things like that, some a person may be born with genitals that may grow into something different at another time. They may be hard to discern which kind of bucket they go into, whether the doctor decides it's male or female. Sometimes it's hard to tell, but mostly because these ideas of sex and gender are are really social constructions. They don't really have any real basis in nature or biology. So what is the purpose of tying this to Title IX? Yeah, so the purpose of tying it to Title IX is to, um, and I believe it's even said in the memo, that it's to take civil rights away from people who, should, um, in their words, shouldn't have had them in the first place. And that's really the big issue is that um, when we talk about gender discrimination and gender identity, gender expression and discrimination based on that, that's where trans people tend to be covered by Title IX. And that's where court cases have have seen that Title IX does apply to discrimination based on gender identity and gender expression. So by removing gender from the equation, the administration, the Trump administration believes that then those court cases wouldn't be able to go forward, that people would be able to discriminate as they want towards trans folks. Right. On top of that today, I don't know if you've read this yet, the DOJ, DOJ brief came out saying that it's okay for businesses to discriminate against transgender employees. Have you seen that? I have seen that. Yeah. And they're, they're looking at a case that they're hoping is going to go to the Supreme Court. And I believe it's Michigan case involving a funeral home and a person there who was fighting to stay employed because of the dress code. Uh, They were trying to argue that the funeral home was trying to argue that the person was wearing inappropriate clothes for their gender or for their sex. And so that has been a case that has been looked at and is probably going to go towards the Supreme Court. Yeah, we, we really don't need people like that making these decisions. (laughs) Exactly. And that's why, you know, when we're looking at who's going into the Supreme Court and how it's stacked towards a conservative side right now, it makes it really scary. And I think that's something that has been an issue just with the protections that we have had before for trans folks in the federal government is that the protections that would be taken away by the plans that are in this memo are things that the Obama administration had put into place. So they never were technically law. They were, again, guidance and interpretation of law. And so we're always kind of tenuous to begin with. Um, And that's something that we've known. So I think 
a big thing that we want to look at doing is making sure that gender and gender identity are protected by law. So um, having the legislature actually make those definitions and clarify that uh, would be a huge step and would protect us long term instead of wondering what our protections are going to be from administration to administration. No, you're right. They are really tenuous. Actually, I was thinking about that. I was thinking about the Obama era guidance around um, treatment of transgender students in schools. I'm just curious as to you know why there wasn't a move to go towards law and, and if there are any countries that we can use as a template. Oh, yeah, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question. And you know, right off the top of my head, I don't have that answer as far as what other countries, what it might look like. But there have been all sorts of issues around trying to get protections for even uh, cis women, so cisgender women with the Equal Rights uh, Amendment and things like that. It's been very, very hard to get everyone kind of on board for those things. And so, yeah, but as far as other countries or other other systems that have worked out around gender. I Yeah, I can't answer that right now. Yeah, I want to talk to you about that later, about cisgendered women and the allyship there. But, but I want to go back to this Obama-era guidance around students and some of the other things that he attempted mm-hmm. to put in place. Because, you know, I don't know how you felt or what the tenor is like, you know, at the clinic or in the community generally. But I remember just shortly after the inauguration in t- 2017, I guess, you know, him rescinding that earlier assessment from the Obama administration just very, very early on. So they, I feel like they just had it in their sights, squarely in their sights as something that they wanted to undo. Yeah, I mean, definitely the school protections were one of the first things to go. Um, we did see like almost immediately that some language about LGBTQ folks was were taken off of websites almost immediately and never replaced. And it's been a kind of long journey of these little kind of micro things like the Department of State guidance on passports where they replaced the word gender with sex throughout, obviously mirroring what's in this memo that we saw on Sunday. So yeah, we've known that these kind of things were coming for a while and it has been affecting people here within the clinic and our community. You know, we have a lot of trans folks working here at the clinic and it's putting stress on us as well. But definitely seeing our patients and our friends and all of that dealing with these larger issues in politics and how that really does affect them in their day-to-day lives just from the stress and not knowing what's going to happen next, not knowing what rights uh, we might lose tomorrow. And it's really scary, very scary for lots of people. You know, I that one was particularly heartbreaking for me because, like you said, there are some attempts at making protections, but just generally in our society, there there aren't full protections, right? But when you're in school and you have a child that's just trying to figure out who they are, that's when you need the protections the most, right? So that one was really heartbreaking for me to, to pull this away from schools, like it, that being the first act. Yeah, it is. And it's really heartless because it's... You know, it, it's also people who can't vote um, and who have no way of, of expressing, you know, their own or enforcing their own views on the political system. It's really hard. They can talk to their parents and they can go in front of committees and things like that, but they themselves have no power to change any of this and no real power in any decision making. 
One of the good things is is that there are states that do have actual protections in place. In Minnesota, where Family Tree Clinic is and where I live, is one of those states. And we actually have a toolkit for trans kids in schools that teaches different school districts and individual schools how to uh, work with their trans students and make their trans students feel safe um, and make their schools safer for trans students. Uh, and so that's heartening is that we do have that protection and we have other protections within the state. We are one of the first states to actually include gender identity as a protected class. And we're really lucky in that sense that for most people in Minnesota, the day-to-day effects of anything that the Trump administration does is going to be really minimal. But there's still 29 states who do not have any protections for trans folks. So what about passports? So what changes would happen with passports? Yeah, so with passports, and again, that's a Obama administration kind of era change, um, made it quite easy to change your gender on your passport and uh, with social security. And it was based on a, like all you needed was a letter from a physician saying that you've undergone appropriate clinical care for uh, a gender transition. And so you needed that and all of the other information that you would have needed for your passport and you could get your sex designation on the passport changed. Again, under rules like this, where we're looking at, you know, the sex that was assigned at birth being the only information that the administration or the State Department is going to look at, that would make it very hard for people. And having an ID, having a woman uh, with an ID that says that she's a man is dangerous in quite a few ways. Going to other countries could be quite dangerous, being accused of... (laughs) of having a fake passport because you clearly are not a man might be a very big issue. Um, Besides the general kind of dysphoria of having and pain that comes with having the government say that uh, your gender doesn't exist, that we are not going to recognize who you are as a person. Um, And that's really scary. You know, I was I've been thinking about actually going out of the country for a while, traveling, and the idea of of it almost being more scary to come back, wondering if I would actually be able to get in if there were some major changes, is an anxiety that I have, that other people have right now. It just adds to more of the anxiety of what is this country going to do to us? Uh, What's coming next? Yeah, but that opens you up to you know, hostility into danger, I would imagine, you know, having an ID that doesn't match, you know, who you are, Mm -hmm. that just opens you up to, you know, like I said, hostility from from bigots, from strangers. And there are, you know, many countries that are still where, you know, homosexuality is still illegal. Um, And oftentimes, trans people and transgender identities are conflated with homosexuality in other countries. So it can be a real danger of being potentially imprisoned somewhere because your passport is telling people that your sex is different than your gender. So having those two things be the same and, and look the same is really, really important. Yeah, I I don't know if this is a good analogy or not, but when I am confronted with someone who doesn't quite understand it, I try to explain, like, if you were to wake up tomorrow and, you know, me as a woman, someone insisted that I put man on my passport, 
right? Yeah. And, and walk and walk around with that all the time when yes. that's not who I know that yep. I am. It's a it's a scary thought. Um and it, it goes down to uh, IDs, like driver's licenses and things like that as well. Like not having your true identity on there is not helpful to anyone. It's not helpful to law enforcement and it's not helpful in keeping you safe. If you wanted to go to the bar and have a drink and they look at your ID uh, and it says that, you know, you're male, but you're obviously a, a woman, are they going to let you into the bar? Are they going to serve you? If you get pulled over by police, are you going to face discrimination from the police officer? What jail cell are you going to go in if for some reason you have to be detained by law enforcement? There's all sorts of things that are very scary to, to trans folks and are very dangerous as well. You know, when I think about what's happening, I can't help but think about how when there've been these other big historical moments or movements rather, you know, like the civil rights movement or, you know, the voting rights act, you know, regardless of what public opinion is, if your government is sending the opposite message that, you know, this discrimination is okay, that of course it's going to trickle down to the rest of the population. And, you know, regarding what's happening with the trans memo, First of all, no one's asking for that, you know, constituents at least. There aren't any, there isn't a big cry for constituents to change the definition of, of gender, right? So no one's asking for this. But, you know, the publication of this memo or the leaking of this memo, rather, it kind of highlights this as an issue. And, you know, and I think it encourages discrimination. And from discrimination, of course, flows hostility often. Yeah, for sure. You know, there's been a feeling within the trans community and within the LGBTQ community that it has emboldened people to be far more discriminatory and far more violent towards trans folks and other LGBTQ folks since the election of Trump as president. Like that was, it's something that has come up again and again, that people do feel that it's okay now because Trump says it's okay. And so adding this again to people's radar <laughs> and to, to people in power who may have previously been, you know, like, well, they're federally protected. So people larger officials in schools and in other places of power to then say, yeah, we can actually take this to court and we might win at this point. So now I am going to discriminate against my students or now I am going to discriminate against my employees. Those are things that I could see potentially happening. So let's go back to this allyship and cisgendered women. And, you know, I actually, I'm actually a bit naive around this because I saw criticism the other day on social media targeted towards cisgendered feminists, those who kind of reject the idea of protections being put in place for transgender women. What is the issue there? I don't understand. I don't understand why they would not fully support the transgender community. Yeah, it's really confusing. Um, it really is. And I do want to say that probably the, you know, the majority of feminists that I run into don't have those views. It's a, you know, it's a fairly small, but very vocal uh, amount of people who, um, who do call themselves feminists and don't believe that there should be protections for trans folks. Um, a lot of the you know, stuff that they're using as ammunition is, you know, just myths around transgender people, especially trans feminine and uh, trans women. The whole idea of myth of 
trans women being being men in dresses and being predators and only doing this to get access to women is really perpetuated and it really has no basis in in reality. And there's other things that you know that we hear people say that trans women are you know making caricatures of women they're being overly feminine um and taking us backwards because there's trans women who like to dress very femme very kind of high femme lipstick and heels and all of that thing but um i think that we've learned even within the larger feminist movement is that people get to dress and express their gender in any way that they want to, uh, whether they're transgender or cisgender or, you know, anywhere else. That has no bearing on on the quality of person that we are, and being trans does not equate into being predators either. That just seems completely backwards. And like I said, I'm just naive to this. I did not, I have not understood what the arguments were, especially for women who call themselves feminists, who should be familiar with the restrictions that have been put around women and the way women can be in public spaces, then putting those restrictions around another group, Mm -hmm. right? (laughs) It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, exactly. And that's the big part of feminism is, is really allowing people to express themselves and be themselves without having those restrictions put on you by society. Um, and then, like you said, yeah, then putting restrictions on other people for whatever reason it is. And some people may have trauma and things that we just, you know, we're not seeing, but still, I think it's important not to, yeah, not to project those things onto other people and entire classes of people as well. So I know that in Minnesota, you're protected, right, locally, but what are some of the implications for, you said there are 29 states that don't have those protections in place. So what are the implications for, you know, the practical everyday implications for someone? Yeah, practical everyday issues that people could run into are um, access to health care, you know, having access to hormone care, access to, you know, medically necessary surgeries. Um, These are things that people may have right now that could go away if the plans that are kind of laid out in the memo go through. So that's a a huge one is just accessing health care. And in the past and still even now, we see exclusions in insurance plans that say that, that they will not cover any healthcare expenses related to either surgery or just transgender care in general. And it kind of lays out almost like a, a place where anything they can deny you um, if they can somehow connect it tenuously to either hormone use or any surgeries that you may have had. So, you know, diabetes care or um, other injuries, mental health, all of those things insurance companies wanted to and had those exclusions, they could refuse to pay for a whole myriad of different yeah, medical services. Other things, definitely housing, um, being discriminated because of your gender identity and housing is a huge thing. Housing access, you know, for many people in the United States is already really hard. But then throwing in that 
you know, your landlord or your bank could uh, discriminate against you on the basis of your gender identity throws even more or that you can be evicted from your home. So not even having that safety of being able to go home or feeling that your home is safe adds to the stress um, that trans people could be facing. We talked a little bit about employment and definitely this, you know, is really looking more at federal employees and potentially federal contractors, I believe. Yeah, a person could be terminated pretty much for being trans. Uh, One example would be that someone who had transitioned, you know, quite a long time ago and now is a trans woman could be fired for dress code violations since their sex, um, as defined by the memo, would would be male, and then they would be in violation of a dress code. So that's something, again, to be very, very worried about. And then also education uh, is huge. Trans students having access to restrooms, trans students being able to present themselves in the way that they want to. So just as far as clothes that they're wearing, being called by the names that they want to be called by, and then having the correct pronouns being used so that trans girls aren't being called he or and trans boys aren't being called him. Those are huge things. And then also just bullying protections, things like that. It makes it much easier for schools to get away with a lot of things if there aren't those federal protections in place. It just sounds like it's legalizing discrimination. It's just legalizing weapons for for bigots, basically, or transphobic people. Yeah, it is. And that's a that is their intent. And I don't really feel like they're hiding that, that this is a tool for discriminating against people and taking away civil rights from people. Uh, and they flat out said that in the memo that uh, that it's removing civil rights from people who shouldn't had it in the first place. So, yeah, it's it is straight up hate and uh, transphobia um, and and really scary. You know, we've seen this kind of thing before. People do very often bring up you know Nazi Germany and. Um, and, you know, internment of Jews. But also, this is mirroring almost exactly how things started. And, you know, you can look back to like 1933 in Germany, um, and some of the pictures that we know of of book burnings in um, Nazi Germany are actually from a institute that was studying sexuality and gender. And so, yeah, the giant pile of books, those books were talking about um, LGBTQ folks in 1933. It was this huge library of more than uh, 40,000 or 50,000 books, 5,000 photos, things like that being burned in front of a crowd of 40,000 people. But that's how it started. Um, Things started in Germany as well, and it led to you know, people that they deemed sexual deviants being also sent to concentration camps along with Jewish people and political prisoners and other ethnic minorities. So it really is scary to look at that and to look at history and see what can precipitate from acts like this where we are allowed to discriminate against certain classes of people. Right. And you know what else? There's kind of this silent messaging when... So, for instance, I have not seen a lot of emphasis on this in the media. You know, the stories came out and it was in the New York Times. But, you know, the focus quickly goes to something else. Right. 
Mm-hmm. I just don't think there's been a lot of energy put into reporting this out and what the implications could mean. And I think that sends a silent message to everyone else that, that even on the left, even for progressives and Democrats, this is kind of a side issue. Do you know what I mean? Is that fair or? I do think it's fair. Um, and even talking with uh legislature people here, they were noticing the same thing, that these issues tend to be pushed down and not dealt with. Um, And who knows what that has to do with, but we're not high on the radar for the left. Even here in Minnesota, where we did just elect two trans people of color to the Minneapolis City Council, you know, we're still not hearing a lot of this on local television or news channels. Um, and it is scary. And it is it does send a message to the trans community that that the left does not necessarily have our back, that we're not a priority, uh, even though we are the ones right now who are being literally attacked, that, that there are literal attacks against our civil rights and our existence and our visibility. Yeah, you know, I'm sensitive to that as a woman of color, you know, you know, people kind of throw this this phrase around about identity politics and using it as a criticism, right? Like if you focus on identity politics and any marginalized group is lumped into that, you know, if you pull all these groups together, then they're no longer the minority. Strategically, it's not very smart. Yeah, it isn't very smart at all. And I mean, whether we are going to continue supporting the, you know, Democrats and things like that, when that's really what they need is um, the support of everyone they have to really combat these things. And whether it is combating these protections for trans folks or for LGBTQ folks in general, for women, for people of color, like all of these are very much interrelated and are all most likely on the agenda of the Trump administration right now. Yeah, well, you know, that's another thing I was thinking about the Trump administration. I mean, I think it was probably clear from the beginning in, you know, the way that he talks about women mm-hmm. generally, that this was not going to be something that he would get behind or protect. He wouldn't protect the LGBTQ community, although he stated it very forcefully during his campaign that he would. But, you know, the way that he talks about women, for instance, he goes on about, you know, having won the, the women's vote. When, you know, just on pure numbers, that's not true. He won 53 percent of white women but in his eyes that's women Mm -hmm. so he doesn't think of anyone who's outside of that very narrow definition as a person so i I wouldn't imagine that he would ever really support genuinely support the lgbtq community yeah there is a very kind of narrow definition of I think, who he sees as people and even how he talks about, you know, different professions as like journalists and things like that is really dehumanizing as well. So yeah, it really isn't any surprise in the way that he does talk about people who don't necessarily support him, how he talks about women. Yeah, it's not a surprise at all. So what can cisgendered constituents and citizens and feminists, how can they be good allies in supporting in this fight? You know, there's been lots of calls out for cisgender allies to support, especially leaders within the trans community, see what they need. And it's going to vary from community to community what people may need. 
and really listening to what those leaders need and what the community needs and not kind of making up your mind what it is. The other part is definitely voting and looking at those issues and seeing who does support LGBTQ rights and what their kind of track record is, what they've actually talked about. Because again, we can't just trust because they're holding a flag up or they have a trans person at their side that they're actually going to follow through on those things. We need to see what their track record is and then we can make decisions based based on that. The other is definitely looking at calling representatives to try to get those policies in place and get the laws changed. But really supporting the community right now is really what we need. Definitely in most of the country, people do not have access to health care, to trans-affirmative health care, things like hormones and things like that. So really talking to those leaders, seeing what you can do for the community, what are the things that they actually need. You know, on a bright note, if you can if you can call it that, there was a push on social media with the we won't be erased hashtag. And, you know, as we've seen with other movements that have had early seats online, like the Me Too hashtag or the Say Her Name hashtag, you know, that is often a predictor of some early momentum for big changes in thinking. I guess my feeling behind it is that we can't be, that no matter what the the government does, like we are going to remain here. We are far too strong. We're, we're far too resilient to let this happen. And so we will make sure that we are not erased. Well, Natalie Crowley, thank you so much for joining me. I've thoroughly enjoyed our, our conversation. Yes, thank you for having me on too. It was really great. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy the podcast, the best thing you can do for a podcast is to subscribe. It's free and it's enormously valuable. Whatever platform you're on, if it's iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, hit the subscribe button. Thank you again for listening and keep up the good fight. 